0: Hi, it's JP Mac, and welcome to Liberty Relearn, not just another conservative blog. Hi, it's JP Mac, and welcome to the show. I want to start the show with some good news. You know, if you've followed this podcast for any length of time now, you know I've been following the situation in the Netherlands with the Dutch farmer protests and i am happy to announce and this is according to Reuters reporting uh, dutch farmers protest party scores big election win shaking up senate and so what is this is about just to give you a real quick background if you haven't been following the story that the um, in the netherlands there is it's actually a large farming country. It has a very um, powerful and very productive farming and agricultural sector. And what their government is trying to do in the name of fighting climate change, so they say, is they want to drastically reduce the amount of nitrogen uh, fertilizers used in their farming. And also they want to eliminate a lot of the cattle farming in the country so that roughly a third of the Dutch farmers would be out of a job at the end of all of this. And so in response, the Dutch farmers have been mounting a protest. They've been getting on their tractors and trucks, and they've block, been blocking up the streets of the Netherlands. Um, st- this started a couple of years ago, but it's picked up steam uh, recently this year. And so in the Netherlands they just had a election, a series of uh local elections to pick um their equivalent of the Senate. And so this party it is called the BBB party or the Boer Burgering uh Farmer Citizen Movement party they won a lot of seats in the recent elections in the netherlands and so this effectively cuts off their government from passing any further legislation restricting nitrogen content and closing the farms so now this group of farmers now have a say in their government which is a good thing and this is a result of course of all of the protests and calling attention to their problem uh in the worldwide media and also um just a lot of concerted effort on the part of the farmers and their supporters so just going to read to you this pretty short article from reuters um It's called Dutch Farmers' Protest Party Scores Big Election Win Shaking Up Senate by Bart H. Mayer. Amsterdam, March 15th, Reuters. A farmers' protest party shook up the political landscape in the Netherlands on Wednesday, emerging as the big winner in provincial elections that determined the makeup of the Senate. The BBB or Boerberger Bugring Farmer Citizen Movement Party rode a wave of protests against the government's environmental policies and looked set to have won more Senate seats than Prime Minister Mark Rutte's conservative uh, VVD party. A first exit poll projected BBB won 15 of a total of 75 seats in the Senate, which has the power to block legislation agreed in the lower house of parliament with the VVD dropping from 12 to 10 seats. The meteoric rise of the BBB is a major blow to RITUS governing coalition casting doubt over its aim to justically cut nitrogen pollution on farms, the single issue upon which BBB was founded in 2019. Nobody can ignore us any longer, BBB leader Caroline Vanderplass told broadcaster Radio One. Voters have spoken out very clearly against this government's policies. The government aims to cut nitrogen emissions in half by 2030 as relatively large numbers of livestock and heavy use of fertilizers have led to levels of nitrogen oxides in the soil and water that violate European Union regulations. The nitrogen problem has crippled construction in the Netherlands As environmental groups have won a string of court cases ordering the government to limit these emissions and preserve nature before new building permits can be granted. The BBB says the problem has been exaggerated and that the proposed solutions are unfairly balanced against farmers, leading to the closure of many farms and food production shortages. And so, as I've talked about on this podcast, um, of course, Netherlands is a large uh, producer of agriculture, and they have a large um, uh, cattle industry also. And so, if the if they were to um, say have to uh, give up a great portion of their farming that would severely limit the amount of food products going out uh, for the consumption of, consumption of Europeans, basically. So that could mean for food shortages uh, if uh, some of these rules were to be enacted. Now, I've heard in other um, places on the web on and being reported elsewhere that when the government claims that it's they have to comply with the EU regulations, what the critics are saying is that the regulations being proposed by the Dutch government go too far, they exceed even what the EU is asking for in terms of nitrogen emissions uh, curtailment. And so, of course... You know, in order to meet these restrictions, the government has proposed um, basically buying out a lot of these farms. Um, basically nationalizing the lands, using the lands as uh, to build uh, migrant worker, working housing or, or um, housing for migrant workers and infrastructure for migrant workers and the members of the BBB party are against this. And so again as I mentioned this is going big on for since at least 2019 and it continues on uh, until today uh, there was just a large protest in Hague not too long ago. Uh, protesting this very thing, these uh, overzealous nitrogen regulations that the government wants to impose on the farmers. Farmers see this as just a way of the government seizing farmland for its own use. And of course it would be putting out a lot of family farms, a lot of farms that have been I guess owned by the same family for generations now, and so of course, the farmers are against this now, this is part of a bigger picture where you know you have groups like the w e f and um, pushing uh, e s g mandates on these countries um so, Netherlands being just one of these countries. And, of course, this is just one more example in a list of countries that have started to uh, resist um, the EU rule in one form or another. Um, like in, the, in uh, I believe it was Norway, I believe yeah, their Conservative Party, just one. Um, also, of course, you know, I just mentioned in Netherlands, in Italy, their conservative party, National Conservative Party won, and also in Hungary, their National Populist Party has won control, and of course, um, the National Populist Movement in France, their, their party, um, came close to taking over the government there, too. So there has been a wave where I think it is a reaction where the European Union and the government ha- is being seen to have too much power. They've accumulated too much power to themselves, and now this is kind of the pushback starting with all of these national populist movements In Europe. And of course, you see the same thing happening in Canada, where you have Trudeau basically acting as a fascist ruler in that country. Of course, uh, I've spoken at length about the Canadian Chuckers uh, protests that happened in that country uh, last year. And so there are um, the, the globalists and the WEF um, are on one side of the issue. and of course, uh, Trudeau is a fanboy of Klaus Schwab. And so of course he will he's willing to do the bidding of the WEF and um, enforce all of this ESG regulation upon his country, even to the detriment of his agricultural sector and the cattle raisers and the farmers and the truckers and his country as well. And so this is kind of a worldwide pushback against globalism. And so also the WEF itself, their power has seemed to have plateaued. Uh, it's still obviously way up there. the very, uh, Influential, you know, you have companies, investment companies like BlackRock, basically dictating to smaller companies uh, how they are to invest and in, and proceed and act as companies. And so, with ESG score enforcement, you know the the uh, ESG, you know, environmental, social, and governments scoring. For each of these companies, you know there are a lot of you have countries also um, chasing high ESG scores, such as Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka had a very high ESG score. Of course, they they basically self-immolated themselves, and that country basically self-destructed in the name of climate change alarmism and uh, chasing an ESG score and also you have banks like the um, Silicon Valley Bank that um, is now I believe under receivership um, they basically collapsed uh, not too long ago they had pursued a very high 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 um, ESG score. So, I think it was like twenty one point something um, which is apparently a very good score um, so they had a very they were very deeply involved with uh social justice causes and environmental causes and all of that uh in fact, they did not have a, a risk officer official risk officer in their company. The person had vacated that position. That person's position had never been refilled. But they did have a DEI officer, a um diversity, equity and inclusion officer. So they were focused some would say on the wrong things. They had taken their eye off the ball of banking and providing a good banking service for Their customers instead decided to pursue all of these ancillary goals that uh, made them feel good, but eventually brought ruin to their company. And so you see, in a lot of places now, we're starting to wake up to the fact that this ESG movement is basically uh, a self-destructive one. And so, the news of the BBB party uh, winning in the Netherlands is uh, welcome news. And so, continuing on to a story, uh, another recurring story for this podcast, is the COVID-19 crisis. Um, So... March 16th marked the third anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread. And so I want to take a look at that, um, not to overdo the the COVID thing, because we've analyzed it a lot on this podcast already, but just to show you that the, the COVID crisis as a crisis has ended. It's been over for about a year now. And so if you look at the, one of my favorite sources for checking out uh, real-time information on the coronavirus, um, you may know, is Woldometers. They have the Woldometer Coronavirus page and so, uh, I like to refer to worldometers for the information. And so, you can see, um, if you bring up a, a graph of the uh, new death, daily new deaths in the United States, according to worldometers, um, you can see it looks like a very jaggedy, spiky thing that trails off. Uh, to the end as you get towards the present day um, but what you notice which is hard to see maybe at the time but now you can see with a little bit of hindsight is that the amount of deaths rapidly dropped off um, from a height there was like for, like four spikes four or five spikes Beginning, of course, in like April of 2020, and then again uh, in January, February of 21, another smaller spike in uh, September, October in 2021, and then a final spike in uh, January, February time frame of 2022. So between February, roughly, and April, there's a sharp decrease in the number of deaths in the U.S. due to COVID. And it drops down very low and it stays low. And it stayed low basically for an entire year since around the beginning of April. So that would kind of suggest that the COVID-19 crisis as a crisis ended roughly in April of 2022, it's now with the benefit of hindsight that we can see this. And so, while COVID-19 remains a problem, particularly for the older generations and those with certain ailments, uh, chronic ailments, Um, except for that, the COVID pandemic is basically over. Um, still remains a problem. You know, you should still take it seriously if you get it. Um, and take precautions, whatever precautions you see fit. But basically it's over as a worldwide crisis. Um, although President Biden... Uh, at this moment, still retains his emergency powers that he gave to himself somehow. Uh, He says that he's going to give up his emergency COVID powers on uh, May 11th, when he declares the emergency over. Of course, the data from Wildometer would suggest that the crisis has been over for a year, Um, Even if you're being very cautious, very conservative, um, very pessimistic, you'd have to admit that um, it hasn't had nearly the significance it had um, at, at its worst when it was really bad since roughly a year ago. So now... We've just passed the uh, third anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread, and so that's where we are now. Um, It is a crisis that's over, um, basically for all intents and purposes, except unless you are the President of the United States, then it is not over, Um, apparently it's going to be over in about uh, a little under two months. On May 11th, he says he's going to give up his powers. Um, well, well, we remain to, uh, that remains to be seen, of course. And one wonders what the true objective of all of this is. Um, one could surmise that he wants to retain the ability to keep this, um, you know, the student loan forgiveness that's one of the things that he has done with in name of controlling COVID or you know, his emergency powers. He's that's one of the things he's done. He probably figured it'd be unseemly to um, end the emergency powers right after the election of 2022, the midterms. So he's waiting a couple extra months to see what happens, but the COVID crisis as a crisis is over has been over for a year now. And so now it is remains an endemic problem, uh, a problem mainly for a certain segment of the population. And so this is a week that um, has mixed good and bad things. Of course, one good thing, again, is the victory of the BBB party in the Netherlands. So that may bring a halt to some of the self-immolation of their agricultural sector going on in that country. So that's a good thing. And I can announce, you know, with the power invested in me, that COVID-19, as a worldwide crisis at least, is over, has been over for a year. Uh, We can see in hindsight where the numbers, the the numbers of death plummeted between um, February and April of 2022. And they've stayed down uh, very low, and continue. Um, at least at the uh, recording of this podcast, they're actually going down. <coughs> so uh, that's a good thing. I think we can recognize that everybody, but the president of the United States, has recognized that the crisis um, portion of the COVID. Experience at least uh, has faded and is has been done for about a year now. And but also um, some negative things. Of course, there's continues to be the war in Ukraine. Uh, Americans of good faith, I think, differ between each other on how best to handle the situation. Do you just give Um, Ukraine uh, uh, simply means to defend itself, or do you give it everything you can and allow, you know, give more offensive munitions to Ukraine? Um, So that's one of the things that's being debated. (coughs) And also you have um, some trouble in the banking sector in the United States, You had SVB Bank uh, collapse and you had Signature Bank collapse all in the same week. And we're looking at SVB and we're seeing a lot of uh, concentration on things other than making money and saving money such as um, pursuing ESG goals at the expense of perhaps... Um, the stakeholders and shareholders of that company. Um, but don't worry, uh, Joe Biden has bailed them out. He's made everybody whole, even above the $250,000 that is uh, insured by the FDIC. Uh, Joe Biden, in his infinite wisdom, has decided to make everybody in that bank collapse, and I think the other one in Signature too a uh, whole so you know these banks the bad actors that made the bad investments bad uh, financial moves and these banks will never feel the the effects of their bad decisions they will never um, have to experience any negative effects they've basically gotten bailed out of the consequences um, along with their banks and so, that creates a little bit of moral hazard when it comes to the banking industry because now, what does the next bank down the line do? You know, you can't give those two banks a bailout and not give everybody a bailout. Um, so that's a problem you have now. Moral hazard where the banks feel like they can be bailed out, they can uh, pursue whatever risky goals, they can continue on pursuing these. Uh, ESG-driven metrics that have nothing to do with uh, making money for their account holders. So there's there's no uh, penalty for bad decisions um, on their part because they feel like now you know these other banks have been made whole, and so you know we're basically risking not our own money, but the public's money uh, in our ventures. And that causes a little bit of what's called moral hazard. And so that could be a problem going forward. Unfortunately, probably will be. Um, you had another bank, Credit Suisse, that was just bought out um, by UBS. I think that was the United Bank of Scotland. Um, But it was bought up by UBS. Um, It was rescued, basically. So it's ironic that particularly you have all the Democrats. They talk about, you know, fighting the big bank and big money and these greedy banks. And here, they're basically laying the foundations for small banks to be gobbled up by bigger banks. They're actually creating the kind of big banks that they say they hate. And this is because, you know, their reckless spending, you know, causes inflation. If Inflation, you know, causes the uh, interest rates to go up. And, you know, these banks are being stuck with low-yield bonds that they can't get rid of now. And so they're um, facing financial crises, um, such as with SVB. And so you have this going on. Uh, meanwhile, the government is bailing out um, not above and beyond what the FDC, FDIC is supposed to bail um, uh, members or account holders. You know the limit is supposed to be two hundred and fifty thousand per account. They're just paying everybody. They're back their losses. Of course, it's probably no coincidence that uh, SVB has been very friendly to the Democrats um, particular in their in their fundraiser and pursuing the goals of the common goals of Democrats and themselves. so it's not um, not to be missed that that little fact that you know someone called I forget who it was, They called the SVB Bank the uh, ATM for the Democrat Party. And so, obviously, um, I've been on their website, SVB's website. It's uh, probably still up, so you can check it for yourself, but it's very heavily invested. If you check into their ESG pages, they have pages and pages touting how great they are and how great their investments are or in diversity, equ- equity, and inclusion, and an environment, and all of these um, leftist pet projects. And so they're, they're very happy that they're um, able to pursue all these goals. Maybe they should have been pursuing the goal of investing their um, account holder's money a little bit more wisely. But apparently... There's no penalty for that, not if you're uh, a company that's pursuing uh, the same goals as the Democrats and the left, and the person in charge, um, the President of the United States, is a leftist Democrat um, shill named Joe Biden. And so you have that. So it's been a mix of good and bad in the news um, I just want to go out on the high note and think about the rollback, um, this surge, it seems like, worldwide of globalism. And it's uh, now, these populist movements have seen enough of the Wokism and pursuing all these uh, crazy dreams on the left, and they want to return to some semblance of sanity. You know, they don't want to destroy the agricultural sectors, for instance, like they did in the Netherlands. And so they're beginning to fight back. They're beginning to organize and protest. And now um, they're even beginning, in the case of the BBB, to win a little bit of political power in their country. So hopefully they'll use it wisely. And hopefully they will forestall um, some of this globalist craziness that we've been seeing in the last few years and hopefully we've seen the high watermark of globalism on this planet for uh, a little while at least maybe we can return start returning things slowly back to normal maybe we've maybe we've rounded that um, turn so hopefully you know let's I want to end on that high note. You have the BBB winning and also, you know, you have, um, you know, other, you know, you, you have a little bit of people speaking out about wokeism and people, um, you know, the Democratic or the Republican field is starting to shape up now, um, so we're going to see. Um, seems like people, um, or at least on the Republican side, are uh, starting to coalesce into some unified message. Hopefully, we can they can build on upon those gains and those victories. And so we will see that some of the sanity, you know, the the wins that. Occurred in the 22 midterms, um, and then you see other in other countries, more um, sane uh, national populist movements um, gaining power, uh, taking power away from the globalists, the global elites, and the left. Um, hopefully, we've turned a corner on that, so things will uh be looking up, so let's go out on this high note. not a very long podcast this week um'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about next week, as of course you know you have the banking situation continuing on, and also you know the the left is not gonna give up, and the globalists are not going to give up just because they had. A setback or two in in a uh, couple of countries. So let's um, pay attention and um, and just fight the good fight online and politically using using the power of the ballot box and our voices make our voices heard and stand up and and we can look at the Dutch farmers. And we can take uh, some inspiration from them. They stood up to what they saw uh, as the tyranny of the globalists and the climate change alarmists in their country. And they're starting to take back some of that power. So um, it's a good um, inspiration, I think, for the rest of us. Hopefully some of that courage and guts and determination Will, will spread, and I, I think hopefully it will. So, thanks again. Thank you for watching the uh, LR Podcast, Liberty Relearn Podcast, and please follow us online at libertyrelearn.com at LR Podcast on Getter and me, J.P. Mac, on um, Parlor. And until next time, stay healthy, happy, and free.